Hi team, welcome to the Jeremy Dooley Show. What's happening people? We are back, we are back with a vengeance. We are back like the Backstreet Boys. Back, all right. Um, Big shout out to everyone who uh, slid into my messages and said, or commented on the fact that my microphone was uh, rubbing against, I don't know if it was my chin or the shirt I was wearing, but getting that sort of scratchy feedback. Um, So apologies if that was driving you nuts. Uh, I was unaware that I was doing that, um, but people had a lot to say about it. Um, It's been quite an interesting week this week. Um, I have been traveling all over the state of Victoria. Uh, I was in Ballarat, Pakenham, Geelong, Balnarring. Um, I got Geelong a bunch of times this week as well, leading into Geelong Comedy Festival. So there's been a lot of kilometers, a lot of trying to just work new bits and new-ish bits and trying to figure out what I'm going to do in terms of my set at Geelong Comedy Festival. Um, But that's kind of where I want to get to. in terms of what I want to talk about this week, um, had a few interesting conversations with some promoters and some people who book um, shows at festivals. Um, you know, the idea of, I think it was, I mean, he, he probably wasn't the first person to say it, but Ivana Ristigeta once said to me, um, and I think he said it on stage as well, that comedy is like 5% on stage telling jokes, excuse me, and the rest of it is trying to get people to buy tickets. And so I've been really lucky at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I've been super um, thankful and stoked to be able to sell every night out that I've done. Uh, And I know that that's a bit of an outlier. I I think part of that is that I'm still new enough that people are still like, I will support um and hope that he's not shit um i mean that was year one but then you know this year all those people came back and brought other people so uh that that was a good sign um yeah so but that idea of like how to sell tickets how to promote and how to do it in a way where you don't feel like a massive tool and that's something that i i certainly uh, it doesn't come naturally to me, the idea of self-promotion. Uh, feeling like a massive tool certainly does. Um, but that, yeah, like the idea of putting yourself out there in a way where you're not annoying people, but you're building a bit of awareness and you're doing it in a way where it's making people interested to buy a ticket and to check you out. And that's something that... Uh, I, I really battle with and, and I'm wildly inconsistent on the social media. Um, I've, I'm trying to post uh, something to TikTok weekly. I know that's not enough, but for me, consistency uh, is important. And so if I can just get something up weekly and then, you know, once I sort of figure out what my voice is there, um, can bump that up to two or three times a week. Um, that, that's a huge thing is the is the social media side so um if a good friend of mine you know we chat he's a few years ahead of me in terms of uh, his comedy and stage experience and um and we had an interesting conversation about 18 months ago as an experiment 
uh, he was going to post three times a week on TikTok. And he had a niche um, that he was going to just double down on. He uh, was in the military. And so he was really going to push the military content. And with being consistent in posting and putting up that sort of content, he's been able to generate an audience. Uh, And to the point where, you know, he's able to get people anywhere in the country to pay and support him. Now, that community is very supportive um, of, you know, other veterans. um, But hey, he had it and has it. And so he's been able to really leverage that and tap into that community support. Uh, I'm going down the martial arts path for me. Um, you know, my my you know huge part of my background in life is is been in martial arts, and there's a lot of great stories uh, from the martial arts world. I, I posted recently on TikTok about some of the uh, pre-fight or pre-competition superstitions, um, but it's it's weird. So th- there is a little bit of an ego element in there. Um, you know, you want you know part of you want heaps and heaps and heaps of views and you know heaps of comments and interactions but then part of me i'd take less comments and less views but more loyalty from people because i want to be able to cultivate a bit more of a community um and a bit more of a community who you know like-minded you know whether that's martial arts whether that's just from the comedy side of things or sport you know i post a few things about sport i haven't posted about sort of the leadership stuff that I've done, which has been pretty substantial, but I kind of want to wait till I get out of that sort of world before I start posting about it, Um, especially because I'm going to be probably taking the piss out of it a little bit. Um, But the consistency of social media and doing more to promote yourself and to make people know who you are and what you're about and what you stand for. Um, in terms of building an audience, that's certainly something that's been successful. Um, and so one of the things that this promoter said, if I, if I get back on track, I took a bit of a detour there. Uh, one promoter in particular said that, you know, you can really tell in a festival who has put in the work. And it's not just put in the work for material, but put in the work throughout the year to, to build a bit of a brand and to build an audience. And it's not just putting up an Instagram story with like a photo of like a gig poster or you on stage. Like it, it's more than that. It's the, you know, the the sponsored posting. It's the putting up a reel, you know, and there's a, you know, a call to action at the end of that. It's um, the going to gigs it's the taking photos with punters and you know doing all the little things that you know as comedians maybe we are not great at and maybe it doesn't come naturally um but really understanding that if we don't have an audience we're just talking into nothing and it's a really difficult place to be in is you know how to generate that um i've been really mindful so my background i'm i'm maltese australian um and you know i very much i was born in australia but grew up maltese and for the first i don't know probably till i started um school i had a weird sort of hybrid accent um where i said a lot of words in with a maltese twang to it um and yeah that eventually 
you know, grew less and less. But when I was playing shows in Malta recently, I was prepared to do it in Maltese or in the dialect that uh, my family speak in. We're from Goso, so we speak Gosatan. Um, but I've been really mindful about not tapping into the uh, the WOG comic element. And so, like, I have a few little bits here and there about my, my background, but I don't lean into it too much because I don't want to get pigeonholed but then by not pigeonholing i'm also not tapping into the maltese australian audience that there might be and there is there's a lot of us in australia um so that's something that i've been grappling with but you know like the big thing is to find what your niche is um and double down on that and so i'm really going into the martial arts the storytelling side of things um, and being a bit blunt with my social media. Uh, in terms of how I market myself and promote during festivals, um, there's a few different ways to do it. So, you know, I'm putting out some press releases to go to all sorts of press in whatever region that I'm performing in. So Geelong Comedy Festival's coming up. I flicked out press releases to um, radio, to uh, local newspapers and uh, blogs, all of those sorts of things to, to get a little bit of coverage. Um, and sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you don't hear anything back. And when it comes to those press releases, there is a little bit of uh, trial and error to constantly fine tune that. And the more you do in terms of, you know, the more experience you get on stage and doing shows, the more you're going to be able to write about to make a more compelling um, hook for people. Um you know, so I, I did get one uh, publication write a fantastic piece for, from an interview um, and that, that was phenomenal. Um, but, yeah, that that's one thing I do. I do some sponsored posts on social media um, and I have a few running. So I'm try- just to trial different things to see what's going to cut through because you don't really know. Um, so the tone in each is slightly different different images um but all with the call to action to buy tickets um i'm not from the area uh but ticket sales have been really strong um i'm not sure if it'll sell out but i think we'll come really close to it uh we'll know next week (laughs) when it's done um so there's that and then there's boots on the ground so it's putting up posters um in and around the venue but also being strategic about where you're putting the posters, not just sticking it on a random pole. It's putting it, you know, in the window of the venue near the doorway. If you put it there, people are always going to be walking in. They're going to see it. It's putting it in the bathrooms. So for the women's bathroom, I have it on the toilet door on the inside. So when they um, sit down and shut the door, bang, it sounds weird, but they're going to be seeing me. Uh, and for the men's, um, you know, I've got one on the door, but also one above the urinal. So wherever they are, when they're holding their junk, they're going to be looking at me thinking, fuck, I, I should buy a ticket to that show. Or I should, you know, um, scan the QR code and find out a bit more about who this Jeremy Dooley bozo is. So all of these things become part of it. Um, I have business cards uh, that I give out at the end of shows, but I don't just give give them out at random. If people come up to me after a show before I've sort of hit the road and, you know, like, oh, that was great. Oh, you're so fucking funny. Oh, I love that bit you do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just give them the card and, you know, I just say, hey, like, 
would really mean a lot. I've, it makes a big difference as a comedian, the more followers you have. And especially if it's someone who's really enjoyed you, they're more likely to follow you. And if you're in that area, more likely to come to a show. Um, so that's the, some of the things that I'm doing. Um, I'm geolocating uh, at the moment in terms of um, when I'm putting out content, I'm geolocating to the area that I'm going to be playing in. I don't know if these things help, um, but these are the things that I'm doing um, and these are the things that have been helping. Um, the other thing is it's about playing the long game. So it's really easy to do a show somewhere once and then that's it and then you kind of just like vanish. Um, so it's about trying to maintain a, a bit more of a presence. So, you know, by going all in this year, um, the next time, you know, Geelong Comedy Festival comes up, um, if I'm doing a show, I've already had a little bit of a presence. I'm sort of in, you know, I'm in the back of people's minds. So then when you do it again, you, you know, you, if you do all the same things again, you should get a little bit more next time and a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's the approach that I've been taking. Um, so, you know, uh, this week I, when I played in Geelong, I had people coming to the show. I was just on a lineup show as the MC, uh, but people were coming to, to watch me because they'd seen, um, my postings about Geelong comedy festival. They follow me and they saw, Oh, he's coming to Geelong this week as well. Let's go watch him. Um, and you know, then they bought tickets. So little things like that. I was very mindful about not doing too much material from my uh, Geelong set um, just to keep it fresh for them. But they're the sorts of things that you've got to do and it's not easy. So a lot of comedians are just putting out, you know, an Instagram story and that's fine. But unless you've got followers there, it doesn't really matter. You can put a million Instagram stories up there, but if it's not customers, audiences, community, you're just advertising to a bunch of other comedians and comedians aren't going to pay. We're tight asses. Most of us have got no money. Um, it's uh, it's not easy to earn a crust just from doing stage work uh, in Australia. That is for sure. Um, that's all I wanted to um, have a bit of a chat about just because it was front of mind. Um, Oh, actually, I might just talk about just Alexander Volkanovsky. He lost his uh, fight today um, against Islam Makachev. And I don't think people understand how difficult it is to go from being in holiday mode to fight camp to competition in less than two weeks. My God. God, that is tough. And was fighting upper division as well, you know, because he's the featherweight king and he was fighting at lightweight. And and that's a big difference. It's a big difference in power. It's a big difference in all that. And yeah, okay, he fought Islam, uh, you know, not that long ago, but still it's a very different mindset, very different skills and kettle of fish that you're dealing with. And so to go from, you know, sort of, not just even holidays. If you look at the training that you do between competition, when it's just your maintenance and skill development training, it is a very different style of training. It's very different headspace uh, compared to getting ready for a fight. And when you get ready for a fight, you know, oftentimes it's eight to 10, sometimes 12 weeks preparation in terms of your running time for that fight, especially, you know, if you've got a bit of extra weight to lose and you don't want to do a massive cut, 
Um, so, you know, you go a little bit longer in fight camp. Um, if you're working on a different sort of game plan, you go a little bit longer in fight camp. Um, but, you know, generally eight to 10 sort of where it's at. So to do it in less than two is mental. Um, and you can see, you know, the the sequence that led to the head kick. Um, Volk was doing a rhythm step, which is not something he would normally do. Now, for the uninitiated, a rhythm step is sometimes you'll see a fighter bouncing up and down a little bit, um, and they're not necessarily like getting airborne, but it's that little motion of the, just the bounce. And some people think, oh, it's just, you know, to stay loose and stuff like that. And yeah, absolutely. But when you're within range, that bounce is such a tell and it's really um, enables your opponent to get a read because when you're bouncing upwards, you can't really throw anything with any power or conviction and it leaves you open. And as you see, see in the fight, that's when he got kicked in the head and that was sort of the beginning of the end. I do think though um, a lot of those ground strikes were to the back of the head um, and that's you know, not part of the rule set. So that's certainly something interesting that happened. Um, but for Volk to be able to just get to the, to fight night is huge. Um, you know, with all the weight that he had to drop, uh, the flip from zero to 100 in training intensity. Um, yeah, hats off to him. He's, and that's why he's the best. You know, if the roles were reversed, I don't think Islam would have done it. And people say, you know, if he was fighting for the 155, he would have done it because he, you know, is the champ, blah, blah, blah. But it's not the same thing. Volk's fighting upper division. So the equivalent would be if Sean Strickland lost an opponent two weeks out and then Islam took a fight on 12 days notice fighting upper division. I don't think he does that. I don't think that's uh, something that he'd be prepared to do. What is interesting, though, is I, you know, the, you know, Khabib is often mentioned as one of the goats. I don't think he is. I don't think he's in that conversation, to be honest. I think he, you know, yeah, he was um, quite a force, but he had such a short run in the UFC against high level opponents. I think Islam versus Khabib is quite the interesting uh, fantasy fight. I think Khabib's grappling is more dominant, but Islam's striking, I think, is a level above Khabib's. So would love to have known if they ever had a full-on fight uh, in training camp. I know they're super tight, but, you know, sometimes inspiring these things happen. That would have been cool to see. But, yeah, hats off to Volkanovsky. What a boss just to to get to the cage and to get to where he has. What a man. What a machine. All right. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to The Jeremy Dooley Show. For all information on tours, geeks, and other shenanigans, check out jeremydooleyofficial.com or Jeremy Dooley Official on all the socials. See you next time.